Today's episode is presented by Yelp. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They also offer great solutions for restaurants looking to streamline their front of house and increase sales. Millions of diners are already using Yelp, and these products are a great way to capitalize on that network. Head over to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to claim your free page and learn more about these powerful tools for your business. Now here we go. A relationship goes a lot further than just a transaction. If you can think longer term, think relationships because it takes a lot more work. You're going to be a lot more successful than the -the run-of-the-mill restaurant owners. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post is launched, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday and packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, the Pineapple Post is here to help. Sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you'll check it out. My greatest frustration as a restauranter has always been marketing. I knew we were doing a great job in the restaurant, and I knew the community was in need of what we were offering, but I had no idea how to effectively communicate that. There's so much noise out there. How do you break through? Most of us can't afford to hire a digital marketing expert, but I happen to be close friends with one of the best, Eric Sue. Eric has built a $25 million empire, helping individuals and companies reach their target markets. Today, we unpack what has driven his pursuit of excellence, his strategies for building audience, and unveil his latest project, the Restaurant Marketing School Podcast. People talk a lot about culture. They talk about having a great leader, a great cause. And that was the first time I actually got to experience that, having worked at a lot of different types of companies. You were young. Digital marketing was new to you, and so was leadership, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know how to manage. So the first time I had to fire someone, I remember when they promoted me to become a manager, I was like, okay, I'm going to learn it. So I started reading a lot of management books. At the end of the day, experience is what matters. So the first time I had to fire someone, we got on Skype, we talked for about 15 minutes on video, and then 15 minutes into it, I'm like, we're going to have to let you go after a conversation. Instead of saying just, I have bad news, we're going to have to let you go. So there's a lot of learnings around that. Probably the biggest memory is when the CEO told me a month into the job that if I don't hit numbers the next month, he's going to have to let me go. My 80 people's, their families are riding on my shoulders. So that was probably a pivotal moment in my career. And so what was the plan? You hear that news and then you decide, okay, we need to what build brand awareness, generate sales. What was the goal? Yeah, I mean, that's a moment where you get to see what you're really made of. It's either... F you, I'm going to get emotional and I'm going to crumble or, hey, you know what? I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to show you what I can do. And basically, I bet the entire company on YouTube ads because thankfully at the time, I was actually analyzing a lot of our previous ad campaigns. For whatever reason, we shut down YouTube ads. And so I went all in on it. I was like, what is there to lose? And plus, I have a gambling background anyway. So whatever, you know, you're going to fire me here, all in. And it worked. We went from acquiring like 200 or so users a month to jumping up to 1,500 to 3,500, going up to 5,000 users. So that worked out really well for us. 
And less than a year later, you decided to move to Single Grain, which was another failing agency, right? Well, I mean, Treehouse was failing. They had a great product. They had a great team. They just didn't have great marketing. So it was more of a just add marketing thing. Single Grain was the services were no longer working. The team would probably be irrelevant if the services are no longer working for obvious reasons. And so it was a much bigger lift than I would say at Treehouse. What inspired you to make that move, though, if things were going well at Treehouse? I never really wanted to go back into the agency world. And to be frank, I think it's not the best business model. But the whole thinking here was that if I can turn this company around, I can do anything. And I think it actually got a lot worse than that. It was more so like, oh, if I can turn this around, it'd be great. It was more so I would have to turn the company around by pivoting the entire company. So figuring out another service, right? So imagine you're flying a plane, you're figuring out how to build a new plane and build a completely new crew as well. So those actions, there's a lot more lift, like I mentioned earlier. And I guess to provide context, when you came to Single Grain, this was an SEO specialized company that had come up with a way to target search engine optimization. A new Google algorithm had come out and their strategy no longer worked. So what happened was Google changed their algorithm. So yeah, we did SEO work where we help you rank higher in the search engines. And basically overnight, it rendered our services no longer effective. And so obviously, if services are not effective, revenue is going to drop. And basically what happened was six months into the job, the four other partners decided that they wanted out. And then I basically negotiated a deal where I'd pay $2 out of pocket to buy 100% of the company. And I would use the profits to do the payout or the buyout. And I put in a contingency saying that if the company failed, I would owe nothing. And the thinking here was that this is an asymmetric upside because if it works, I would have unlimited upside. I would have a lot of assets and I'd be able to reinvest those revenues into more durable or exponential sources of revenue. And if I failed, I would learn a lot. It would be a great learning lesson. And I could always go get an amazing marketing job or I can go start something, whatever. So that's basically what happened. And I'll tell you, a year after taking it over, had no idea what I was doing. We dropped all the way down to one employee. I read a book called Let My People Go Surfing and I took it literally. I was like, okay, that means let them do their thing. They'll go to the office, whatever. We'd have people coming into the office with flip-flops, dressed unprofessionally, eating chips and watching Family Guy. So they say uh, it's always darkest before pitch. it's pitch black. And so a year later, you had already begun to take out loans to cover payroll. You had bought this failed company for $2. How did you turn it around? Probably the most important thing is I was persistent, but the naivete added to that. It was like, I think I can make it work. I think I can make it work. And you just have no idea. You just keep going down, 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 down. And just all of a sudden it starts to work. It was like about to hit the ground and boom, like slowly going up. So we tried to switch it into a content marketing agency. So that's a similar service to SEO where we're just writing content. That didn't work out. I hired the wrong person and that's 100% my fault. And again, I let my people go surfing. I wasn't present. And so slowly, fortunately, I had started to build my marketing brand at the time. So our traffic started to go up. We started getting leads. I had started to do my podcast and things like that. And we would start to refer the leads out. So we dropped all the way down to one employee. I negotiated with other agencies that were growing. I said, hey, I'm going to refer these leads to you. You're going to pay me 30% of the monthly customer value. That worked out really well. I mean, that was basically like 500K a year in profit. It was great. But what I realized was that these agencies didn't know how to retain the customers. And what were they doing? They were mostly doing paid media, paid ads. And so I was like, okay, we'll do that. Because paid media is very black and white. So from there, I started to take on some of the clients ourselves and we started to hire contractors to do the work. 
And from there, it just kept growing. It kept growing. It kept growing. And they were like, okay, let's hire full-time people. It kept growing, growing, growing. And then that's how the company saved itself. Therein lies why I wanted to have you on this show and why I wanted to do a new show with you. It's because I think there's so much for the restaurant industry and independent restaurateurs to learn from your marketing strategy, from this concept of creating value and building an audience over time. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the four forms of leverage, you have code, capital, labor, and media. And all of this stuff takes time to compound. And most people are like, okay, I'm going to create content on YouTube. And then they give up in like a month or two. I'm not getting enough views. I'm going to give up because they're selfish and they think too much about what other people think of them. Now, what ends up working really well is if you're doing podcasts like this is that you're using it to build relationships, you're using it to learn, you're optimizing for learning. And if you build an audience, great, that's icing on the cake, right? And so I learned to fail the first year, I was only getting nine downloads a day. I failed the second year, only getting 30 downloads a day. But if I didn't keep going, going back to naivete or persistence, right now, combined with the two podcasts, I have 48 million downloads. So I'm not saying I'm the biggest podcast in the world. I'm just saying it takes time to get there. When I think about our YouTube channel, four years ago, maybe it was like 1,500 subscribers. Now it's at about 53,000. It's not huge, right? But it takes time to compound. You're getting over a million views on YouTube regardless. I checked it out. I think it was like 1.3 or 1.5 million views over the lifetime of the channel, which is absolutely insane. Again, like we're aiming to go for 100,000, a million and all that. But 1.6 is certainly great. I'm grateful for that. But when I think about when I first took over Single Grain, the blog, we're only getting 3,000 visits a month. You fast forward and now we're at about 350,000 visits a month. And that's all coming from SEO. And so again, it takes time to compound. That's the first lesson. And the second lesson is it's better to focus because I tried building all these things at once. And sure, it's all working now, but it probably would have gone a lot faster if I just focused it on like one core area. And there's something to be said for that quote from Gary Vaynerchuk, who said that every company is a media company, whether they realize it or not. And I think that that's where the value is in the restaurant industry, that if there's a central focus on media, it pays dividends. Yeah, you did that with your restaurant, right? You learned how to harness the power of social and that attracted people. And you learn how to tap into people's wants, their desires. And that's what marketing is. Sometimes it's leading with content and people we cause them to take an action afterwards. Other times you teach and then you cause them to like you and then maybe it'll take an action later. So a lot of different ways to do it. Talk to me about relationship capital. You build relationships. There's groups like EO, YPO, Tiger 21 and all that. Or building relationships with people doing podcasts. I've been doing podcasting for over eight years. And so when you are interviewing someone on a podcast or maybe you're doing a favor for them, you're making deposits into the relationship bank. Maybe not when you're interviewing them on the podcast because they're kind of doing you a favor. But when you're doing more favors, the more you do favors, like the more you're building up deposits. And eventually one day, if you need something, you can withdraw. Most people are very transactional. They tend to go for the ask instead of adding value first. And it's very short-term thinking. And so relationship capital is very valuable because it's the same thing as, well, it's not the same thing, but regular capital, right? You want to continue to build it up and then you'll have more leverage. The more relationships you build up, the more leverage you're going to have, the more connections you're going to have to be able to get access to certain things that other people just don't have. So that's what it is. Well, and let's directly relate that to the industry because restaurants typically have a singular focus when it comes to media. Come to the restaurant, spend your money here, tell your friends. And it could be an entirely different conversation. It could be the top three menu items or the top selling three menu items. Here are the recipes for those dishes if you want to make it at home. Or we've created these three recipes inspired by your favorite dishes on the menu. 
or this is the best-selling cocktail. Here's a recipe and a video on how to do it. There are so many different ways that we can have conversations outside of a sales strategy. When you think about the restaurant industry, it's very transactional to your point. So how do you think about fostering a long-term relationship? Speaking of relationship capital, we have a mutual friend, our friend Daniel, who has his restaurant in LA, which I love. It's a Japanese restaurant owned by a Persian guy, but it's great. And we have a strong relationship. When I go in there, his employees take good care of me. I'm texting with him. We're friends. And I remember one time we hosted an event for our podcast marketing school. We did something where he made the food for us and we end up doing some work for him as well. So it goes beyond just a transaction. Like we're doing other stuff on the side. We're talking on the side. We're friends. And a relationship goes a lot further than just a transaction, right? So if you can think longer term, think relationships, because it takes a lot more work, you're going to be a lot more successful than the run of the mill restaurant owners. I think that overwhelm is really what saddles most restaurateurs, especially when it comes to digital content, digital marketing. What should I make? On what platform should I be on? How many hours a week should I work on it? And I struggle with all of those failure to start questions myself, and I did for years. And eventually, over time, we sorted it out. But there is a fast track. And the fast track is by learning from people that do this for a living. And that's why I had initially reached out to you. And that's why I wanted to create our new podcast with you, Restaurant Marketing School. I think the important thing, Josh, is trying new things. When I think about what you did with your restaurant, you thought longer term, like, A, how do I make a different spin on a restaurant? And then how do I stay connected with people? And how do I make it more than a transaction? How do I think longer term? And then during the pandemic, you decide to start this podcast and you're starting a new podcast. You're thinking longer term, you're thinking outside of the box. And that's what it requires. Like you don't want to wake up every single day doing the same thing. Because if you find it yourself stagnating, then you probably are. You want to find yourself continuing to get better, maybe just 1% better every single day. And then for sure, you'll be able to hit your goals. Well, marketing is a really foreign concept for us. I think the restaurateurs do a great job of telling the story of their lives, of their restaurants, of their concepts within the four walls. But outside of that, especially with social media, I think it's really tough to have those conversations in an authentic way because it feels forced. It feels hokey. The good news now is that there's a new app called Clubhouse where you can actually hang out with people and have actual conversations. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the more you can foster connections and conversations, again, you're going to be further than most people. So the big concept of the show is that we're going to provide one piece of actionable advice every single day. Yeah, it's one actionable bit. It's very similar to my other podcast where we just nerd out for five to 10 minutes a day. But this one's going to be tailored specifically towards restaurants and also not just around marketing or growing your restaurant business, but also causing you to rethink certain things and causing you to think bigger as well. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this. I was on a panel earlier today held by the SBDC and someone had asked the panel, they had said, I'm thinking about doing a pop-up. Do you think now is a great time to do a pop-up? And I immediately jumped on the question because of the lessons that I've learned from you. And I said, it's really hard for us to tell. But what you could do is you could advertise this pop-up before doing it in some sort of pre-launch, A and B test different concepts in the localized area you want to do the pop-up and then use the sign-up form as proof that you're going in the right direction. Or it gives you an opportunity to pivot, having spent very little capital, knowing that it's not going to work. Yeah. Again, causing people to think in a different way. Part of it is education. 
there's so many possibilities now where back in the day, you'd have to spend five figures or six figures to get something going. You don't need to do that anymore. You can actually spend $50, $200 or so, test the concept and see if it's worth rolling out. If you owned a restaurant today, if I just gave you the keys and you've got 30 days until you open, off the top of your head, what would you do as a marketing effort to get ready for that? If I don't have any assets, I'm going to target probably Instagram and Facebook ads, more so Instagram because it's very visual. And then I'm going to have a photographer. I don't know what budget I have, but I'm going to have a photographer take good pictures of my food saying grand opening. And I'm going to give them an offer that they can't refuse because I don't care how good you are at marketing. The main thing that matters is your offer. If your offer is a no-brainer, so hey, we'll give you chicken sandwiches for a year or something like that if you come. This is crazy offer. And if you tag three people, we're going to give you that, right? To every single person that does it. Who's not going to want that offer? That offer is a no-brainer. You're going to feed me for a year. Of course, I'm going to tag three people. Those people are going to tag other people. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to get crazy engagement. Your ad just kind of blows up on its own. You geo-target a certain area, meaning that you can fence it around, let's say, downtown LA as an example. And then there, you just plow your marketing budget into that, see how it goes. And then beyond that, If people want to enter to win that contest, they have to give their email address and their phone number because then you can continue to market to them through email and you can continue to market to them through text because you can control those channels. So you can have those people continue to come back. So you're building a list of people so you can market to them. And you're also getting a ton of awareness, a ton of engagement. Hopefully from there, you're going to have some editors, some foodie people that are seeing it on Instagram being like, I want to cover this, right? Hopefully you get some more press that way. But that's one way of doing it that I think is more scalable than the other ways. To unpack what you just said, because I think what you said was incredibly important. The content you create needs to be infinitely shareable. Every post that you have, the intention should be that someone's going to want to share that with someone else. The other thing I would say is over the last nine or 10 months, the restaurant concepts that I have seen thrive are the ones that actually had access to their customer base via text, via email. That was a huge game changer. Yeah, I mean, look, it's nice to be on all these social platforms, but at the end of the day, they can ban you at any time, Google included. So you got to focus on controlling your audience, controlling the list, whether it's your SMS list or your email list. You recently wrote a book called Leveling Up. What's the book about? So basically, the subtitle is How to Master the Game of Life. For me growing up, I used to play a lot of games and that was what I was good at. And I was never acknowledged by my parents for doing it, never acknowledged by my friends. So I had a big chip on my shoulder, right? That's one thing. But I also learned a lot from gaming. I learned teamwork. I learned resilience. I learned how to communicate. And a lot of these skills, my thesis is that gaming creates leaders. So whether you played sports, sports is a game, or whether you played video games, or whether you're a parent of a child that plays video games, just understand that a lot of people that are quote unquote successful in the world, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they played games. Some of the gaming champions I watched growing up, they founded companies, sold them. And so there's a lot of habits that you can establish from gaming, you'll react a lot faster, you'll type a lot faster. So again, to me, gaming creates leaders. And the entire book is about finding the right power-ups and getting stronger and stronger because you're just trying to level up a little bit every single day and it's going to compound. You're going to get a lot stronger. Look, there's levels to everything. When you're working out on a bike, for example, there's levels to that. You start out as a beginner, you get stronger and stronger. In your career, you start out at school. You learn to build the right habits. You go work for a company. Then you start freelancing. Then you start building maybe an agency on the side, or maybe you start a drop shipping company and then maybe you start to hold inventory. Then you can go all the way to building like a network effects business like Facebook. You can go all the way up, you can play the game, but you don't deserve to go to the next level until you beat the current level. And I'm not saying everyone has to level up to the highest level, but that's what it's all about. 
That's why we're all at different levels. We decided to go to the next one. We decided to stay at some. Some people are more fit than others. That's what it is. For the restaurateurs overwhelmed by hearing all of that, and the ones that are super frustrated with not really understanding digital marketing or content creation, do you have any words of advice or encouragement for them? Let's draw it in parallel. So 27-year-old Eric almost tanks a company. Outside accounting firm calls and says, hey, maybe you should shut it down. I almost accept another job. And so have no idea what I was doing. Had no idea what I was doing as a manager. Had no idea what I was doing running a company. Had no business running a company. And I just learned to fail forward, to burn the ships and fail forward. So I think in the restaurant world, because it's very similar to our services business where it's hard to scale because you have to buy rent. You have a lot of hard costs. To me, it's very difficult. I don't know if I could do a restaurant. But if you happen to have a successful restaurant, can you redeploy those cash flows into other investments that have more scalability? Can you go start something else? Like, for example, Josh is doing podcasts. He could create a course later on how to make a Michelin star restaurant because he's actually been there and done that. And that's revenue where you can actually make money in your sleep. And there's a lot less overhead. There's a lot less stress. And then you take those cash flows and you level up, level up again. You level up into something else. Maybe you want to go back to restaurants. I don't know if you would want to do that, but you could. So the whole idea here is, If you are hell-bent on making your restaurant work, make that work first, go through the pain, level up. And then it's like, okay, get the cash flows. What do you want to do next? Then level up to the next level. And that's what it is. But it's like, if you can't figure it out, that's because you just haven't found the requisite things you need to beat the boss at the current level. I think to me, it's just the same thing as a services business. Tough, like for every new customer we add or every couple of customers, we have to add more people. Now, when you look at why our software business is so attractive, because Their margins are so high because you don't need to do that, right? You have economies of scale. You have the same thing with Facebook. You have the same thing with WhatsApp, for example. It's because they're very, very scalable businesses and they're less of a headache. We'll put it that way. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every show, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Eric, you and I are going to be chatting with these folks five times a week, starting in February. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement, anything you would like to say to the folks listening? I mean, you know what? This is probably from my culture growing up, but I had an Asian tiger mom. And so it's a beatdown growing up, constant beatdown. It's never good enough. And I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful for my experience in poker because poker taught me a lot of resilience because you should take a beating forever, three, six, 12 months, variance, right? It happens. And so I think the point here is how can you reframe your thinking where you can go after the pain? Because if something bad happens or if someone says something negative or things aren't working out, I get a lot of energy from that. Like, I love it. So I've now learned to reframe that into, oh, this is strength. Oh, you're saying something bad about me or I'm not good enough. That's fine. You're going to make me stronger. I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm just going to get stronger. And if you can do that, because you're going to get a lot of adversity in your life. By the way, investing, 50 plus percent of the time, you're going to be wrong. You're going to assume that a lot of things aren't going to go your way. And when they don't, you can take that as strength and then build that resilience so you can push through where other people can't. That's Eric Sue. Be sure to check out his book, Leveling Up, and subscribe to our newest podcast, Restaurant Marketing School. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our other content, or read our daily publication, go to fullconf.media. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.